0: Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. An interesting show today, uh, if you missed it. Uh, we had a conversation about micro-suites and some UBC students who uh, appreciate the idea of some cheaper, more affordable housing, but just, yeah, boy, they wish it would be a little more spacious. they got to have their friends over, after all. And then we also talked about uh, workplace conflict,
1: a, an interesting, very curious case, actually, out of Ottawa, where one person was washing his feet with vinegar and one lady just couldn't handle it and how to deal with these sorts of workplace disputes. Listen to Kincaid and Breckenridge, Monday to Friday, 9.30 to 12.30 on News Talk 770. Uh, I'm Roger. That's Rob. We broadcast from the comfortable confines of this uh, studio in the heart of Chorus Center here on 17th Avenue, right across from Spiros. Um, how big is this room, do you think, Rob? What do you got, buddy? It's
0: about 11 farthings. <laughs> I mean, that's uh I think, currency yeah.
1: i think it's seven leagues by four leagues this is a sizable space it's i would say it's about three times the size maybe four times the size of these nano suites that they're introducing to the student population of mm. the university of british columbia a very novel student housing solution
0: yeah i uh, yeah i think if you took the t- big table out of here it would look pretty spacious in here so yeah okay maybe you're suggesting maybe uh, around 400 square feet in the studio yeah, that you suggest. Yeah, yeah, I think that's about right.
1: Um, now I'll say something. This is just a big square room, okay? Do you think you could live comfortably in this room with the following: a bed, mm-hmm. comfortable sized bed, a table to sit at, a little two burner cooktop to eat at, maybe a microwave, maybe a little ice box, and then a toilet and a shower in the corner, and that door there
0: locks to the outside. Are you describing a prison cell? <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, um, you know, certainly as, as a young person, um, that's really all you need. You know, if you're going to university, you're spending a lot of your time, you know, studying in the library, going out with friends, hanging in the common area, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you need a place to rest your head at night and shower in the morning. seems like it would do the trick.
1: Yeah. Okay, so this is the deal then at, at UBC with these things called suites, 140 square foot suites. Um, They've been described as being kind of similar in size to a parking stall, Uh, and it's just as I described. You know, you've got a a really small kitchenette, uh, you've got a bed, you've got a a table, and the bed kind of, it's a Murphy bed thing, so when it folds up, you've got a desk underneath, when it folds down, you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got a a toilet and a shower. You don't have a bathtub, you don't have a jetted tub, you don't have a bar fridge, you don't have a walk-in freezer, you don't have a walk-in closet you got just a little bit of space for storage. But look, you're 19 or you're 20, you're setting out for an education. What more do you need? And this is Vancouver, after all.
0: That's right. Do right? you really want a nice, spacious condo? Well, you better have some deep pockets. So for, for a struggling student, it's a pretty affordable idea. You know, It gives you a place to live, to be on your own, and to, to provide those those basics. All right.
1: They, they put one of these in the Student Union Building in Vancouver. Um And, it, you know, it's just like a box. It's like a container. It looks like one of the model apartments they have at Ikea. And everybody yeah, sees those bad, apartments yeah. and they go, oh, my God, I could live in this. That'd be easy. Um, so here's, here's how the unit's described.
2: So what we're looking at over my shoulder here is 140 square feet of independent living. Independent living meaning there's a bedroom
1: a study space, a kitchen, and a bathroom, basically, and, uh, and, and a little bit of storage.
2: Uh, and we're, we're doing this to address a couple of things. One is uh, access to housing on campus for students. We have huge demand for more housing, and to do so and provide a, uh, an affordable option for students.
1: Okay, so they've got a huge demand for affordable housing on campus. Keep that in mind, because the university knows this because they've gone and they've talked to a builder about it and they've presumably asked their students, hey, what's the problem? What's some of the problems that you face that if we could help solve these problems would make your university life a lot better? And presumably, and quite understandably, kids are coming back and saying, well, it's expensive to live here, and there's not a whole lot of affordable housing near the school.
0: Well, and with these smaller units, you can uh, add a lot more. I think they're talking about 650 units are going to be built by 2019 at UBC that that are like these. So, um, Or, in fact, uh, 200 rather. I think they have 650. Now they're talking about maybe having 2,250 by 2019, so a lot more. And you can fit a lot more of those in a a smaller area, so it takes up less space to address these these housing needs. Yeah, they're on a peninsula,
1: by the way. You know, you think about the University of Calgary, and if, if you could buy land on four sides of it, you can't do that on the University of British Columbia. They're on a peninsula. They're wrapped by a regional forest. There's a nude beach at one end of it. It's actually a pretty rad campus. Um, here's more about these nano units.
2: Um, we have studios right now on campus that are about 230 square feet. So these are about uh, 90 square feet uh, smaller. And they, when we open it, they'll be about $400 per month less expensive as well. About $700, just under $700 a month in 2019 dollars.
1: Okay, so under $700 a month in 2019 dollars. And uh, just keep that in the back of your head and, and where you put all those other stories about how unaffordable it is to live in the city of Vancouver right now.
0: Yeah, because I, I think depending where you are in the country, I mean, you know, $700 will get you more than than 140 square feet. But, uh, right, this is Vancouver after all. Mm-hmm. Now, this
1: is where I'm really curious to hear what people think about this story, about this concept of these nano suites, Because when you hear what the students are saying about it, this is where I kind of go. Give me a break. That's what I do. I- I'm curious to know what you think. And there's uh, there's some response to it on the on the Reddit page in Vancouver. We've posted some of that at our news talk seven seventy com website. There's a conversation going on on our Facebook page about this. But they showed this nano suite to some students. So listen to these reactions from the students, and then we want to hear from you nine seven four eight two five five or your text messages seven seventy seven seventy. Here's one student responding to it.
0: Uh, they look very small. Um... It's kind of strange to have like not have a table and a bed at the same time. Like you have to like pause. That's just really like a really new idea. Very new idea. Okay, well he's, he hasn't seen one like this. He's getting used to the idea. It's strange to not have a bed and a table at the same time. Sure, because <laughs> you want to sleep and you want to eat dinner yeah. and you got to do those things separately. Now. How, how are you supposed to like, nap while you're
1: lunching? Exactly. It's almost impossible. Uh, um, okay, this is the one that the, I think this is a good one. This is one of the best yeah, comments the first
0: I've... guy was okay. He's just, you know, he's a little surprised by it, but he's kind of trying to get his head around it.
1: I just want him to go on and say, but now that I think about it, I never used the same items at the same time. He'll get there.
0: He'll get there. <laughs> he's going to get there eventually.
2: I mean, it's really, really small, and I think, I wonder about the mental health of students doing these kinds of small living. Like, I remember
1: okay, so this is an interesting, <laughs> now, because it's hard to hear the audios of poor quality, it's really small, and she wonders about the mental health of people in here. Surely we could argue that prisoners in their cramped cells probably have some mental health issues that develop and particularly if you're claustrophobic she's really she might be onto something here
2: i mean it's really really small and i think yeah, yeah. i wonder about the mental health of students in these like, kinds of small living like i remember living in a dorm myself when i went to uvic years ago and being in a one you know, contained unit i found really stressful at times because i like to entertain and this is not a comfortable entertaining area but it is upgraded it looks nice but it's isolating yeah it's Okay,
1: so back when she was at UVic, the first time she went to university, she lived in an isolated. She found it isolating to live in one of these things. And it was stressful because she
0: likes to entertain. (laughs) So where is the living room in in here? Look, I mean, if uh, if you need to entertain, then uh, I guess you can look off campus and uh, you can find yourself um, all kinds of uh, spacious living quarters where you can entertain uh, any number of people. Question is, uh, can you afford that? If you can't afford that, then you take what you can afford. And if that means you don't get to entertain people in your your suite, well, that's life. Yeah, you need a buddy
1: to back you up on your claim that, hey, this is probably not a good idea. You'll go nuts, not entertaining.
2: And this is not a comfortable entertaining area, but it is upgraded. It looks nice, but it's isolating. Yeah, it's really nice. You're better off paying 675 and living in a five-bedroom house, not downtown, yeah, but and
1: then making the commute, I think. Okay, so that I guess that's a choice that you would make. You could either you could either spend uh, under $700 live on campus where there's a bar, a whole hub mall, an mm-hmm. entire social scene. Actually, there's a movie theater there. Yep. There's a gym, an aquatic center, there's a nude beach, an anthropology museum, sports fields, and uh, all, uh, all kinds of meeting spaces. Or you could commute to that so that you could live in a big house with more people and an entertaining space.
0: Those are the options, right? Well, take it or leave it, right? I, I, the notion here seems to be that these students, uh, I, I get the sense of telling these designers, you know, go back to the drawing board. <laughs> it's like, no, that's, that's not good enough for me. I, I reject this. It's like, well, no, this, this is what it is. Um, a lot of text coming in, by the way. Someone points out that my camper is about 100 square feet and can sleep three, no problem, fully self-contained. Uh, someone else says, I just looked it up. Those look great. I would have loved that back in, in my college days. Or someone else says, you should have seen the dorm room I lived in 25 years ago, uh, a glorified closet. So th- this seems completely acceptable, right? You're, you're basically there to, um, you know, eat a meal, go to bed, get up, have a shower, be on your way.
1: Yeah, and uh, you could skip the eat a meal part if you wanted to. Because there's plenty of options outside for that. You know, we're going to take a break right here. And uh, Jim has called in, 974-8255. Rob's done the same. We're going to get to those two phone calls uh, after this break. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770.
0: All right, another text here at 770-770. Because 770. these are the same people who have never paid taxes, want the government to pay their education, don't want pipelines, want cheap gas. When they do pay their taxes, they complain. Uh, and it goes on and on. It, it, it comes across as uh, entitled, right? Yeah. This seems like a, a pretty good deal. And you know if it's if it's not for you, then uh, okay. Well, then you go and do what you want to do. Then nine
1: seven four eight two five five. Jim is called in. Hi, Jim.
2: Thanks. So. I think the other thing is once, once, once somebody gets their mind wrapped around it, I'd just like to expand on it a bit. There's some condo projects in Calgary that have got some new concepts. I know there's one in Toronto where it's 400 square, square feet and the wall actually moves inside to give you a more living space for, for the living room and then the wall slides the other way to give you more living space for the bedroom. Right. I think the one thing I'd like to bring up is as people get their minds around this, the young people, I mean, there wasn't that long ago that a family of six was raised in an 1,100-square-foot bungalow in Calgary. Consumerism, oh, yeah. this is going to bring a whole change to consumerism. They will they will learn, Geez, whiz, I don't need that much. Yeah, I, can, I, can, I, I, can, I think I can, you're right, I don't, Jim. I don't, I, I don't think we need a 2,500-square-foot bungalow on the edge of the city with all
1: of this stuff. No, I think you're bang on, Jim, and I think there's a, a lot of people in this, in this generation that are kind of learning that, but they learn it outside school, right? I mean, talk to these young people, these millennials and whatnot, that live in the Beltline and that they, you know, parking's not an issue for them because they don't, they don't own a car, but not only do they not own a car, they don't want to own a car. No. Like, they're good with, 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 uh, uh, car to go and the bus and Uber they should we ever get it. 7. Yeah, and that's more important to them. Yeah, you're right. But my, my problem with the response to say, oh, I don't, I'd, go, my, I'd worry about my mental health because I couldn't entertain in here. It's like, why did you go to university? <laughs> like, particularly the University of British Columbia. It seems that the education is just this secondary thing in your life. And, and, and I, that really worries me because you spend a lot of your time and money invested in going understand? to university
2: thing is is when you want to go to the University of British Columbia for. I mean, I would think the University of Calgary would have similar, comparable educational programs. And if you want more living space, you would be able to get that at a much less. You want to live in BC because of the lifestyle,
0: right? And oh, you want sure, to live in
2: yeah. Toronto because of the lifestyle. Yeah. So th- those comes those comes with those comes with 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 uh, with, with uh, payback the if you want to say. Yeah, There's exactly. a cost to that. There's a change of lifestyle for that.
0: You could go to Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops, yeah. for example be like bc but yeah and it's. you could probably have an
2: 800 square foot condo for the same price <laughs> yeah okay jim, great phone call
1: thanks very much
0: for that yeah, it's funny jim mentions that uh just recently we were in in windsor my fam- my wife's got family in windsor and uh her- my wife's grandmother recently passed away right up until her dad she lived in the same home where they raised seven kids my mother-in-law and her six siblings and this t- i couldn't believe the first time i walked in there that they were um nine people living in this right. house it's crazy but he's absolutely right and um you know I, I think this this helps give these young people some perspective that wait a second i I can live in this i got everything i need here and you know that's probably not a bad thing if you take that that out into the world with you if things go well for you in the real world and you know you can afford a great big five million dollar bungalow in vancouver then then good for you but yeah, this, this is probably a good life lesson too. I think
1: this is a text that just came in from someone in Kelowna, no less, uh, Roger. My favorite uh, part of this is the nude beach is part of your selling point. You should be a real estate agent. Well, Rec Beach is a, is a famous nude beach, clothing optional, I guess I should say. And uh, that's
0: right by the university. Yeah,
1: it's it's like at the base of the university endowment grounds. So it's one of the beaches you'd have to drive through the university endowment grounds basically to get to, to nude beach. But my point in bringing it up is, if they have that amenity, what amenity don't they have? Like if that's listed. <laughs> On things you can access at University of British Columbia. What don't they have? Yeah, the, the, the funny thing is, is that, is that you know millennials are uh, a very commonly misunderstood group of people and the they they, get, they they occasionally get these types of spokespeople like the one we heard from earlier on who says that she's worried about her mental health in a place this small cuz there's nowhere to entertain and we sort of think that that labels them all the the issue with this 7 or this uh, uh, 140 square foot unit this nano suite that they're going to hope to have 2000 of is that they're all going to go off like hotcakes and I just wonder, I, I worry about this one lost snowflake in the blizzard here. Because the people are going to look at this go, wait a minute, I get to live on the most idyllic campus in the country for under $700 a month. And I'm steps away from absolutely all the entertainment I should need. And if I need more entertainment, I'm a $20 cab ride away from it. And I have to go through other awesome entertainment zones to get to that entertainment zone that's $25 away. That's a smoking deal. The problem, if there's a problem, is that it doesn't adequately prepare you from life for life. Because once you're done with the UBC, you will never
0: find such a sweet deal again in Vancouver. No kidding. Well, and just think about the, you know, the alternative then. Let's say you're prepared to spend about 700 bucks a month on living, but you don't like these mini suites, all right? So you get together with, uh, four friends and you're all going to kick in $700 a month and you're going to rent a home. Are you really end up with more space in terms of how far that amount of money is going to go and renting a home in Vancouver in a prestigious area like this, you'd be lucky to have pretty much the same thing. You'd get a small bedroom and kind of a shared area, right? So I, I, I don't, I don't know what they're expecting, Right, if you've got two thousand a month, four thousand a month to spend on rent while you're going to university, well congratulations to you. Then then go ahead and do so. But um, you know, if you're trying to cut costs, then I don't I don't think you can be uh choosy. I
1: I I wish that the this other gal though could live live the alternative that she suggested.
2: Better off paying six hundred and seventy five and living in a five bedroom house, not downtown. Yeah. But and then making the commute, yeah. I think. Okay.
0: How are you better
1: off? That's Well you get <laughs> You get to live with people, and you get to stand at a bus stop in the rain. Well,
0: that's or, the thing. You are living with people, car. right? Yeah. Uh, presumably, there's there's a common area around here anyway that you can. <laughs> this is just a, a hot and woods, hang out. <laughs> 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 Let's get to Rob, who's
1: called in nine seven four eight two five five. Hi, Rob. Thanks for the call.
2: Hey, how can she can't entertain?
1: No, I, I don't understand
2: that. Just get a box of beer and uh, crib board, and away you go, man. You know. Uh,
1: yeah, I, Rob, I hear you, man. Seriously, if if you need to to entertain, um, yeah, you could fit two people in that place, and you could have a have a game of cards and a couple of beers. That's no problem at all. That, that's right. You, you
2: make the best of everything, man. Yeah, but if it, you
1: need if you need to have a house party, a those exist. You'll just be an invited guest, or B, there's a bar right next door.
2: Or go down to the nude beach.
1: Well, yeah, that's come up a few times, Rob. I like the way you think. I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll
2: let you guys go. Have a good weekend. <laughs> yeah, you too, pal. Have a great well, weekend, I, I get Thanks. the
0: impulse as a young person. I remember being uh, 21, I guess, and got my first apartment. And, you know, the first thing I wanted, I wanted to have people over. Yeah. I'm on my own. I got my own place. Uh, let's have some some friends over. Let's, you know, let's do it up. Okay, that's that's fine. But, you know, I had to pay for that apartment. I was working, and... I paid the rent. I paid the rent on what I could afford. And that's that's what I had. Now, it was a, you know, I was in Wetaski when it was like 1996. If I had 700 a month to spend on rent, holy cow, I would have been living like a king. I was spending about half of that on a nice one-bedroom apartment. (laughs) Yeah. So I I can sympathize because, boy, if I had 700 a month for rent when I was that age, that would have would have been sweet.
1: Somebody here says, uh, text to say, I'm 40 years old and I want one of these things. Like, I could easily live in this myself. That's a good text. Um, are you kidding me? I should show these students the rat hole I lived in 10 years ago at the University of Ottawa. Those nano-suites are nano-sweet. I see what you, you did there. But, you know, to, to the text that you read earlier, Rob, about, like, these are the same people who they don't want to pay taxes or blah, blah, blah. Um, th- this is something that I think just needs to really be pointed out because... I recognize that when i 'm listening to this young lady speak and she says I'm worried about the mental health and you can 't entertain in this place that she doesn 't have the breadth of life experience that that maybe I do or most of the people listening to this do that need to sit her down and say okay look here 's the issue though you pay student dues at this school, and part of your student fees at this school go to to, to support this gigantic building that they 've put up for you." I mean, the university sees value in a food court, but they don't necessarily want to be in the restaurant business. So your cash goes to support this building. That's why when I was at Mount Royal College, I was in the pub every uh, every other day because I was paying for that pub. <laughs> so, right? so if you think you need to, to have your own entertainment space, that's critical part of, of the $700. Guess what? You've got one. You're paying for an entertainment space. It's called the
0: school pub. It's in the student union building. Go use it. You're paying for it. You know, here's a tax, and I'd be curious to know more about this story. Um, I bet this guy would have a good story. A guy texts us say, I had a buddy who did a year at the, the University of Saskatchewan living in a tent. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like, where was that tent? And was it, like, hidden? Uh, or were you allowed to just, you know, throw up a tent uh, on on campus? And, you know, where did you eat? Where did you shower? I I'd have a lot of questions for that guy. That'd be interesting. Another text here, I like this one, a bunch of spoiled entitled kids. I'd be thrilled to have a place like that on campus.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that that's the funny thing about it is that hearing her comments, more people will, will look at that situation and go, my gosh, this is fantastic. I hope the word doesn't get out that there's hundreds of these units available. And this is a trend. I, I think that this is, is along the lines of, the, of a couple of trends that they've seen even in that neighborhood. One is those micro condos. That they're selling in Surrey, and these things are going so fast. The idea was basically hey, we'll make a smaller apartment, it'll have a cheaper price. Well, guess what? The demand was so high that the smaller apartment has like a comparable
0: price. Hey, remember this story? This, this is a story um, from October. It was about a 23 year old guy who uh, moved out to the Bay Area, got a job at Google as a software engineer. But this is San Francisco, same yeah. kind of issues as Vancouver. So what did he do? He bought uh, basically like a a box truck, like a moving truck, and uh, lived in it, 128 square feet in the back. Wow. And he uh, would drive to work each day, (laughs) or he didn't really leave, basically. It was in the Google parking lot, and uh, he had a bed and and everything, and then obviously they got facilities inside uh, Google where he could shower and and do all of that. So um, that's what he chose to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, listen, I think it's it's funny, right, because for all the complaints about the, how unaffordable housing is, how unaffordable things are. Somebody made it affordable, and gift horse mouth, have a look.
0: Yeah. last word to this guy, though, says, keep your stinking nano sweets. I still prefer my van down by the river. <laughs> okay. When we come okay. back from the news to uh, 1130,
1: Melanie Peacock is going to join us from the Bissett School of Business at Mount Royal University. Uh, she's an HR expert there. This is weird story about a bureaucrat in Ottawa who was – Afforded some tremendous luxury just because she couldn't stand to work with a fella who had some, um, how do we say, Rob, kind of disconcerting habits, hygiene
0: practices in the workplace? Right, yes. The kind of things that would be noticed by a co worker. So we'll, we'll talk about where those those lines get drawn uh, when we come back here. It's the 1130 news up next, though. Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right, welcome back. King Kate and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Um, this segment about uh, co-workers and the people that work next to you and what you might have to put up with. Uh, Roger, I once worked next to a guy, and he kept, like, seaweed in, in his drawer and would eat it. That's the funniest thing, because I actually, I, oh. <laughs>
1: Wait a second. I work uh, next to a guy who's constantly combing his hair at his desk.
0: That sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, it's kind of a question of, all right, well, what, you, what rights do you have when it comes to the habits of somebody working next to you and, and how much that impacts you? So here's the story of the National Post this week that everyone's talking about. An Ottawa public servant has won the legal right to work in a separate building. So they haven't fired this other guy, but this person now can work far away from him. Uh, an irksome colleague who walked barefoot in the office, washed his feet with vinegar, made loud, guttural noises, broke wind, and swore... Uh Line Eamon, rather, a uh, statistics and data quality manager, of the Pro Board of Canada, told the federal tribunal that problems began soon after the man identified as only Mister X moved into a cubicle next to her office in November 2009. Uh, and it sounds as though every day was just hellish for her, that she would have to deal with this guy, and this guy was just uh, a tremendous pain. And so it got to the point where she said, I I deserve the right to move away from this guy. And so she's uh, she's won that right. Now, the story makes it sound like they're the only two people in the office. (laughs) And if
1: that's not the case, then it's possible that she's the only one who had a complaint escalated to this level. And the other thing about the story is that um, there are some things that this person was doing that you would say that's offside, but it's obviously offside. Uh, using foul language in conversation, for example, I think that there, you'd find a lot of workplaces that would say, look, you can't use the F word with the frequency that you do in just casual conversation with people you don't interact with terribly frequently. But then you would also say, and like, that's a rule you could post on the wall, no cursing and swearing. But then this guy's also washing his feet with vinegar at his desk, and you would wonder that that's such a peculiar behavior that really no organization would have it in their bylaws that rinsing your feet with salad dressing ingredients is verboten here.
0: Well, I guess, you know, if you're <laughs> going to argue that you're being impacted with something, is it that you don't want to see it, you don't want to be aware that it's happening, or that it's legitimately impacting, like the, the smell is overwhelming. Like this p- passage here says, Mr. X was a constant source of distraction uh, for you. And he would arrive in their office building at 7.15 a.m., open his bag, go to the kitchen, and make a lot of noise while reheating a meal. Well, okay, that seemed. Uh, but then it says his leftovers often had a strong smell, and he was a noisy eater. So, what's that line between annoying and I can't do my job?
1: Alright, Melanie Peacock uh, joins us on the uh, on the air now from the Bissett School of Business, Mount Royal University, associate professor there and uh, a human resources expert. Uh, Melanie, welcome to the program.
3: Good morning. I'm just putting my seaweed down, and I never want to eat salad again. Thanks for that description.
1: <laughs> no problem. And uh, we, co- we call it nori, don't we? But I digress. Um, so, Melanie, th- you're familiar with this story, right?
3: Absolutely. Okay. It's caused some great discussion, both from an academic setting and uh, with some of my HR colleagues in the real world.
1: Right? I- I'm trying to figure out what the appropriate question to kick this interview off with is, and the one I keep coming back to is, what's going on here?
3: Yeah, what is, go- is what has the world come to, right? We right. sometimes wonder. And you know what it really comes down to is this whole concept of reasonableness. And we talk about the term reasonable when we look at what would the reasonable person do, what's the reasonable person test from a legal standpoint, what's reasonable accommodation from an employer's obligation and legal responsibilities. But it's so interesting, isn't it, that the word reasonable – Is so subjective and so subject to interpretation depending on, you know, what might be reasonable for you might be quite different for me. And the other thing that you've astutely raised is many employers, and I've talked with my students about this in our employee relations class, that you want to put out a policy and expectations in advance wherever possible so that you're addressing issues before they occur, but is it practical to one, have an overarching general policy that you expect people to be courteous and for people to be comfortable in their work environment. And that can be so nebulous because you might say, well, I'm not comfortable working today. Well, what does that mean? Versus as soon as you start listing things that are forbidden, uh, I'm not a huge fan of lists because inevitably you exclude something from the list and let me tell you gentlemen people out there are creative oh my gosh if only they could use that power for good i have some <laughs> seen people take lists whether it be dress codes uh, code of conduct communication expectations and say well heck this wasn't on the list so now i can wear this do this eat this it, it's crazy
0: well, it is, and so how much of this falls to to employers, right? I mean, so this is obviously people who work for the government, that, that changes it a little, but in terms of what employers have to do to manage these kinds of issues, it seems like there's a long history of back and forth between these two, and obviously this, this woman had some legitimate concerns. So what, what do employers, What how do they need to step in and resolve these matters?
3: Right, so without knowing all of the specifics of the case at hand, I can speak to the fact that employers overall regardless if you're private sector, public sector, government, non, you do have to show what we call due diligence or a duty of care to your employees. So one is, again, having these conversations, having some type of training sessions, some type of safe environment where people can talk about these things and where possible developing policies before matters come up. The next issue, though, is when an employee does address or come to his or her employer and say, I have concerns about my safety, which was in this case as well, or my work environment, employers have to take it seriously. They can't just brush it off as someone being a drama king or queen, someone just looking for attention, you have to address all matters. One, not only because of that particular employee who's raised the issue, because it sets a precedent or a tone or it sets your organizational culture, other employees are watching. They see how you respond, and if you don't take an employee's concern seriously, there are other implications beyond potentially just the two employees who might be involved in a complaint.
1: Is there a problem that when you have the two employees, though, who are involved in a complaint, that that they might both feel that neither that they should not be the one to be disrupted? So in this case of uh, Ms. Eamond and Mr. X, uh, if you're trying to manage this situation, do you have to manage it with them both in place so that you're not removing one of them from a situation and saying
3: you were the problem? Yeah, and you can still remove one person, but without necessarily saying who is the problem, right? It's about diplomacy, it's about communication. It's interesting, again, from this particular case, without knowing all of the specifics, but if you read into some of the details, there was actually a complaint filed by Mr. X against this lady mm-hmm. uh, for some harassment issues, one of which was upheld. So there's obviously a lot more complexity to the dynamics between these two people, and vinegar and foul language. Language and other sound effects aside it sounded like there was a lot of personality dynamics between these two individuals so in lieu of blaming one versus the other uh, as it turned out they did they moved one individual and not saying that it was the other one's fault per se so yeah employers do have to be very careful about the communications around that
0: yeah and, and there was there apparently were offers to move this woman to a d- different cubicle but you know and what, what she ultimately successfully argued was that you know that's not enough I need to be moved to an entirely a separate building but you know that point about you know employees coming to an employer saying i, you know, I can't work next to so and so i need to be moved and that might be an easy resolution to say okay fine we'll, we'll separate you two you're going to move and hopefully that's done i mean is is that the easy way out or is there an obligation to say okay well hang on a second what's the issue can we can we sort out this issue that maybe moving a, an employee should be a last resort
3: yeah, and I think you always want to delve into the situation. The issue becomes that, have you addressed it, are you investigating, are you actively doing something to learn more about the situation? That's the first point. And sometimes, depending on the organization, it's not functional, it's not feasible to move people to different office spaces. It's not always something that an organization or employer can do. And that's again when we talk about duty to accommodate, but only to a point of reasonableness or undue hardship. I think the other interesting thing in this case, though, was, as the judge said, certainly there was another cubicle that this person could go to. We could certainly separate these individuals. But it became such a point that the complainant had said that she was suffering health and mental stress issues, that she didn't even feel safe unless she was in another building. And again, the judge ruled that it was reasonable given the context and what the employer could do, that this accommodation could be made. So really, it's a case-by-case basis, but I would encourage employers to think about, are we at least addressing it? Are we investigating without pointing blame, but are we showing that we will look into it and that we care about all of our employees so that we care about the person raising the complaint, but also the one who the complaint is against, treating people fairly and equitably? And then are we doing everything reasonable to resolve it?
1: Right. I mean... the one thing that stands out to me and maybe it's the cautionary tale in all of this is that as the complaints escalated so too did this did the solution and it seemed as though the solution was always a step behind the complaints does that make sense so it got to this point where it was a tribunal and they did have to move her to a separate building and and when really they could have probably moved in or possibly rather moved in at the first sign of conflict and said okay we're we're breaking this whole thing up right now just just you know uh, a pound of uh, of cure here
3: Yeah, absolutely. I I talk with my HR students about this all the time, that one of the things from strategic HR management is always to try and be preventative. The more we can avoid problems, the more we can nip them in the bud, the more we can resolve issues. I mean, I'm a huge conflict avoider myself. I'm one to talk, although my family might (laughs) disagree—that's another story. (laughs) But I like, you know, I'm not one that loves to delve, but I have learned and I have done this throughout my career to get involved with employees to facilitate to have those talks. But often things—it's amazing—solutions in the beginning can often be, you've astutely noted that, much more simple and uh, much more satisfying than if things are allowed to escalate and again it's not i want to emphasize that when things escalate it's not only the two potential people that are involved in it it's all the other employees and what it does to organizational culture so the lack of addressing things has far bigger uh, implications than one would think
0: now in this case the whole matter went to something called the public service labor relations and employment board obviously a way of you know that's something that's there for those working in the public service um do those kinds of, of recourses exist for, for people who don't work in the public sector?
3: Oh sure, there's also I'll give Alberta as an example. You can always go to the Alberta Human Rights Commission if you feel like in some way you're being discriminated against. You can go to a labor relations board if you're in a unionized setting. Um, you can go through private legal counsel. I've seen cases do that where people have just said my workplace became toxic. We think vinegar might smell toxic enough, but <laughs> toxicity in the workplace takes on a whole different meaning. So there are lots of other uh, implications or routes for employees to take. And again, that sounds good on paper, but there's so much emotional money, mental investment in that. So sometimes those avenues, although they're there, they're often difficult to access or actually carry through. And again, this is why I would love to see organizations be strategic and nip these things before they become out of control.
1: Absolutely. Melanie, really thank you for your time today. I guess, you know, while we've got you here though, I mean... It's reasonable for a guy to keep seaweed snacks in his desk, right? I mean,
3: I'm sorry, the call's breaking up. What? What?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Melody, take care. Thanks a lot.
3: Take care. Bye, bye.
1: Melanie Peacock, uh, Business School of Business uh, uh, HR expert uh, over at Mount Royal University. There. Yeah.
0: No, actually, those those aren't. Uh, I, I'm I'm not going to eat one. You okay. need to stop. Uh, you know, with the peer pressure. But, uh, no, uh, I'm a
1: generous guy, Rob. <laughs> You know, it's like they don't don't smell, you know, as I I can notice on the topic of generosity. It'd be nice if the if the rap music was played at a volume at which we could all enjoy it from time to time, not just at a subtle volume so that one has to strain to hear it.
0: Well, okay, we'll we'll work on that. So I I guess the question is uh, for folks, uh, is is this something you can relate to? I mean, if you had a similar kind of experience where you were stuck in a cubicle with somebody who was just, you know, made life unbearable and what became of it? 974-8255 974-8255 is a number. We're back with more right after this.
1: I was saying on the morning news this morning that cooking fish at work is probably, that that, that to me I think is probably like the single greatest violation. And uh, I'm surprised you don't see more like no fish stickers in common eating areas. You know, like, like the microwave at every workplace, it should have uh, a questionnaire. Is this fish? No, continue.
0: Like the heating up of it. It's like yeah. a
1: tuna sandwich is fine. A tuna sandwich is fine. Sushi is okay. But if you're going to microwave fish, it's out.
0: Well, that's, that's reasonable. All right, well, let's go to the phones. Martin uh, has a story for us. Martin, thanks for calling in.
2: Yes, hi. How are you doing? Pretty good. Um, I just wanted to comment there about uh, you know, the things with your coworkers. Yeah. I was once working in a factory, and I was the night foreman, and uh, this other gentleman... Uh, he was a day foreman. And right from the get-go, I mean, uh, maybe because I, I was younger and ambitious and I got I got to that position in two years, uh, but he used to come by my toolbox and smash it with pipes
3: and <laughs> and then
2: curse in Chinese and all, say all kinds of stuff and, and then try to get other guys to go against me. But it got to a point where he actually come by with a pipe. And stuck a 12 gauge shotgun shell on it, and he had a hammer, a chipping hammer for a welder. Wow! And he said, "You keep this up, and it's going to be you." (laughs) God. So yeah, I actually had i I got to the point where I, I couldn't take it no more. Like this is ridiculous.
1: Did you involve the police in that story at all?
2: No. No, no, it just kept it internal. Yeah,
1: I get you. Just, I know how it is. Know. I mean, I, to be clear, there is, and you know this, Martin, I know you know this, but there's a big difference between uh, an uncomfortable colleague and someone who is violating the law and threatening your life. But, oh, yeah, you know, but that's know. a crazy story. We appreciate you phoning in. Thank you. Yeah, no
0: problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not something anybody should have to deal with. But it's sort of like, I, I don't know, it's smelly smelly person on the bus syndrome, right? It's like if you're the person on the bus who smells bad, you're the only one who doesn't think anyone on the bus smells bad.
0: A couple of texts coming in uh, regarding your your point about uh, smelly food. Uh, This one says, no, Roger, having a co-worker bring a dead duck that he shot an hour before that he brought into work and cleaned it in the kitchen. That is the worst smell.
1: So Hmm. not to split the hair here, but I think the dressing of wild game in the workplace (laughs) should not be allowed. I think that that crosses a line. Like, bringing a hamburger in, I think that's acceptable. Butchering a cow, I think is kind of
0: uh, over the line. Yeah. Well, unless you work at a slaughterhouse, I guess. That's probably okay then. Uh, Another one here says, I had a co-worker who used to use the microwave, uh, the stankiest fish for lunch every day, so bad that everyone would shut their office door to prevent the rancid smell from entering their space. And, oh, by the way, people who trim fingernails at work are super irritating.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the the, the the
0: trimming the nails thing. Um, but you can't ban that. Sure, okay, well, that's, that's point, annoying. Right? You should be more considerate. But, I mean, where, where's the line when it's, okay, that's unacceptable behavior? You're making life unbearable for your coworkers. Uh, <laughs> a horrible, unbearable smell would fall into that category. Irritating little habits probably doesn't.
1: This uh, could branch off into stuff you shouldn't be allowed to do on an airplane, too. Serving fish, by the way, being one of them. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's true, right? You can't make a bylaw that says no grooming your fingernails at the desk, but you should be allowed to wonder why would you do that anyway.
0: All right. Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back. Some uh, final thoughts on this, and uh, we'll set up our final segment for you as well. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770.